We, uh, we were some of those here at prayer. Now, the, the Larson family doesn't quite understand the concept of when things start. So we typically get here at prayer around 8.30. It does start at 8. So for those of you that wanted to do the whole hour of prayer, you could be a little better than the Larsons and get here for the whole thing. Um, it, it's a blessing to be in the house of God. And as we're seeing now uh, in this world, um, you know, there is an attack on Christianity. There is, a, <laughs> there is an attack on faith. There is an attack absolutely on faithfulness. What we just saw just north of us in Canada is, is just a tipping point. Now, I'm not going to try to preach doom and gloom, but we are going to talk a little bit about that tonight uh, because we need to be aware of what's happening. And we need to be aware of where we are at in our own faith and our walk in the Lord. We don't want to get caught unaware. We don't want to get caught in a position where our faith is waning. We don't want to get caught in a place where we're going to be swept away by what's happening. Amen? So, um, Pastor was preaching this morning, and, and again, I, I'm loving the faithfulness series, and then this morning, the, the Kiss the Sun, Embracing Christ, this togetherness with the Lord. And I was thinking about the Word of God. We've, we've been really talking about the Word of God, Pastor Rodney, Pastor. And I, I see the Scripture as a textbook for the Christian. It's the, it's the textbook, but, but it's about a specific subject, and the subject is Christ. And so the entirety of the Scripture is about Christ, and Jesus told them, go back and read that, that Scripture, read the Old Testament, it's all about me. And I was thinking about how we prepare for this world, how we prepare in this life, how we prepare in our homes to honor God. We need to study His Word. And I was thinking about school. And I grew up going to public school. I went to high school and, and I had teachers. And when you study a textbook, and this is boring some of you, all the kids just went, oh, no. I thought we didn't have to talk about school. But in school, you have a textbook. You're going to have a history book, an algebra book for math. You're going to take geometry at certain times, science. And, and you always study the subject. You're studying, and it's, in, in, the, in the textbook, you're going to get small principles upon small principles to build up to solve bigger problems or understand bigger concepts. And it's the same thing in the Word of God. You're going to study line upon line, precept upon precept. And one thing about school, the good teachers in college, the good professors, we had, I had one, I took one semester of college and said, that's enough, and I was out. But, but I had one that was a good orator, and he took the subject matter of the book and expounded on it for the class, and he began to teach, and he began to, to use a whitewash board, and he, br he brought in some pictures and some examples, and, and what, what the good teacher does is he doesn't deviate from the subject. He doesn't deviate from the textbook, but he expounds on it and brings these thoughts out in a clear way so we can learn. How blessed are we in this body to have the kind of teaching from our pastors and our leadership that does exactly that? Let me encourage you to come ready to learn. This morning, Pastor said, he goes, I'm going to teach a little bit at a college level today. Man, if you've got to take a note, take a note. I I'm terrible because I forget everything, but I like to write a lot of notes, and I go and study later. I want to capture what he brought out, what our ministers brought out. When Pastor Aaron speaks and Pastor Rodney speaks and the other brothers, there's something to learn, and they're using the, the textbook, and the subject is always Christ. And we're not going to error if that's the case. There's a lot of churches erroring right now because the subject is not Christ. They're using the textbook for the wrong thing. You don't take the math book into English class. Amen. That's all for free. I'm going to preach now. Amen. I want to talk to you about the spirit of Antichrist tonight. Go to Genesis chapter 11. We're talking about the spirit of Antichrist. So there's no way I can do this subject in just one service. There's no way anybody could, but we're going to touch on some things, and I hope encourage us in the Word of God and anchoring in the faith. Genesis 11, verse 1, we have a very familiar story of the Tower of Babel. How many of you have heard of the Tower of Babel? I, I saw something in here. I was, I was doing some reading, um, uh, The Cost of Discipleship with Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I ran across a couple of things, and I want to share with you a, a bit that I saw through some things that they mentioned. Verse 1, the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, 
unless we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. And now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let's go down there, confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. And so the Lord scattered them abroad and and from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because the Lord confused the languages of the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over all the face of the earth. Lord, we thank you for your word, God, and tonight we come into this place to receive. And, and Jesus, I ask that you would speak through me. Help me, God, to deliver a word that's from you. You're the one, Lord, that spoke with authority, and you have all truth. And, and God, a word that's spoken in your spirit, Lord, that can change a life, that can bring a clarity and draw us closer to you. So tonight, Lord, I pray that you would bring a concept through that would encourage this church, would help someone in here who maybe is a little confused, maybe is not dedicated to you in the way they should be. Help God to encourage, to strengthen our faith. And we love you, Jesus, and we promote you, and you alone deserve all the glory. In his name we pray, amen. Amen. So I read this story, and and something that stuck out to me. The Tower of Babel seems like a group of people genuinely trying to reach God. When you first read it, and you just take the story out, you'll think, man, they're just trying to reach God. I mean, they're, they're building this tower. They want to get to the heavens. They, they're making a city. I mean, what great unity is there, right? They're all together, and they're building things up. Now, now if you read a few chapters prior, you're going to find out that this is just after the flood. And so God was already angry with man, and he destroyed the whole earth. And then Noah and his sons, God's going to replenish the earth, and he gives a command to them. He says to them to be fruitful and to go out in all of the earth, repopulating the earth. This is back a few chapters. God gave a command to the people to come through Noah and his sons that they were to go and populate and fill the earth. And then we get just a few chapters later, and and now we have groups of people. We've got this large group of people on the earth, and what is it that they want to do? They're going to walk in disobedience. Look, there's nobody else to confuse them. Understand that the world, this is the first group of people on earth. Who's influencing them? They're influencing each other. This is all they have. The word of God came through Noah, came down through Noah's sons, and and there is an absolute command of God. They have a directive. They have a call. They are supposed to be fruitful and go out into the earth and fill the earth. They walk in open disobedience. So much so that they now decide to build a tower. They're going to build a tower unto their own God, making their own way to the heavens outside of the will of God. This is not just a group of ignorant people who wanted to reach the heavens in a place they couldn't find God. You see, Old and New Testament, the men who diligently seek God always found Him. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and God spoke directly to him, and he spoke directly to these people. They knew the will of God for them. They knew who the God of glory was. Every time they saw the rainbow, they knew of a covenant God had made with them, and they chose to walk outside of that. What a great sin in the ancient world. The very first group of people. What a great sin. The same Spirit of Antichrist from the beginning all the way through the Scripture all the way till now has been in our world since the first day that sin entered. This word Antichrist, we're going to read in 1 John in a little bit. And it it means opposed or an opponent, but it also means in the place of. Antichristos, Antichrist, is in the place of Christ, in the place of God. And so this group of people is openly promoting and building a faith in the place of God. It has to come down. They built up a city. It's a refuge of their own strength, a source of their own provision, and a source of their own protection. They walked outside of the will of God in the building up of a city. They built the tower to reach the heavens, Antichrist in the place of God. And they wanted to make for themselves a name. Did you catch that? We want to make a name for ourselves. They wanted their identity outside of God. 
man, church, there's something that happens to, to big movements, to big church movements. And, and, you know, there's a strength in unity. There's a strength in unity in the church, and there's a strength in unity outside of the church. And certain movements get rolling, and certain things want to have a name. And there is a worship movement in our country that seeks to make a name for itself. It's not the name of Jesus they want. It's a name for themselves. I'm not saying everybody that writes a song is that way. I'm not saying every bit of music is that way. But there's a movement. There is a cultural move to be a show, to be about themselves, to elevate a name. This has been happening forever. Now, we are called to unity. In Ephesians 4, you could read Ephesians 4, it's verse 1 through 6. You can read about the unity, but it's in the Spirit of Christ. There is a right unity for the church. It's just it belongs in Christ. As soon as we get outside of Jesus. Now hang on for a second because there's a lot of churches that put Jesus at the name. They put Jesus as the name on the building or, or something in a pamphlet, but, but inside they're not unified in Christ. They're unified in a set of beliefs maybe. They're unified in some dogma. They're unified in a cause. Maybe it's even a good cause, but it's a philanthropy cause. It's a, it's a movement outside of the in Christ. And the only unity that's going to matter, the only unity that's going to help is one in Jesus. And that word in Ephesians 4 is oneness. It's, a, it's so together we are one. One in our hearts, in our spirit, and in Christ. You look at America and you would say America is divided. It is divided within factions of extreme unity. I have never seen, I'm only 42, so I can't speak from a ton of experience. But I do not remember a time when the political parties were so unified in their belief system that they hated one another to the level that we do. There is a hatred right now, in our, a dissension, a division because of this unity that's outside of God outside of Christ, outside of even American patriotism, it has become a default unified movement within many factions. And if you look at it, it lines up with Babel. They want a name for themselves. They want their own protection. They want their own provision. They want their own God. They want their own faith. They want to be outside of any authority that comes from God. Now listen, I'm not trying to pick on every conservative in America. I am a Christian who happens to be conservative. But even within that movement, you're seeing it's devoid of Christ-centered. Come on. Only in Christ should there be unity that would do anything, anything good. We're not of this world, but we are in it. In John 17, Jesus is praying for the disciples, and he actually makes mention of you and I. And he's praying and he says, I, I don't pray that you take them out of the world, but, but rather that you keep them from the evil one. That word keep is to protect, to guard. We pray that prayer that our Father in heaven, and we, and we ask God to deliver us from the evil and rescue us from evil, lead us not into temptation. Every day we have to remind ourselves who it is that we're fighting against. There is an evil in this world seeking to distract, to take you into this in this flow of culture, this unified, outside-of-God culture. And you cannot buy into it. And one of the things I love about that prayer is every day it's a reminder. I need to be delivered from the evil because I'm in it. It's around us. It's around our kids. It's around us at work. It's every day on our TV screen, even on your radio, every commercial. It's a constant bombardment, and you need to be rescued. Thank goodness we have a Savior, amen? Go to, go to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 34. I'm just going to grab my water. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. Anybody here have a red-letter Bible with you? Who here has a red-letter Bible? Are those words in red, Amber? Mm -hmm. Jesus said them. One of the things I love about the red letter. I thought Jesus came to bring world peace. Mm -mm. Wait a minute, I thought the Lord wanted 
peace on earth. You see, in Babel, when they got off and they unified anti-God and they got away from God and they had all those things they wanted, God gave them a mercy. He dispersed them. He brought their tower down. He brought their city down. He gave them different languages so they could not complete their work. He spread them out. The will of God is going to happen whether you want it to or not. And so God speaks right to it and says, this is over. I gave a command. It's going to happen. I'm going to fulfill it. He splits them up, and their kingdom comes down. Man-made religion is coming down. Man-made religion is already made out of brick, not stone. It's already baked together. It will not last. It is temporary. And there are so many churches that are anchored to this man-built tower system. There are churches that are anchored into just a set of dogma beliefs about how you live and and, and what you do every day. They have a list of commandments, and, and that becomes their religion. That becomes their tower, and it's not in Christ. It's outside of Christ. Now, they think they're building towards Christ, but they're not. There's a clear, defined command for the Christian. It's to be in Christ. It's to to follow him. Take up your cross daily. To the disciple of the Lord, you have a daily commitment to Jesus before anything else. I don't get out my list of my theories and my ideas and and what I want to do and not do, and I follow that, and I say, now I have God. I I get up and I say, Lord, what do you want from me today? Lord, this day belongs to you. God, I, I am going to work. I, I've got a family to raise, but Jesus, this day belongs to you. What do you want to do in me? Anything different today, God, this day belongs to you. This life belongs to you. Jesus said, I came to bring a sword. Why? Why? For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Well, that part I believe. That's pretty easy, right? Jesus says, I'm going to set fathers against children, families against themselves. This is why I, I have come to do this. A man's enemies will be those of his own household. Verse 37, this is why. Because he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy. He who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. Let me just paint this in a real easy picture. If I put my wife and children first, and I put my career first, and I put all our things first, and and I got all that going first, I am seeking my life ahead of Christ. And I'm going to lose it all because everything in this world perishes. Life is a vapor. It's over. Here today, gone tomorrow. We know that. But if I get to Christ first, and I make all his things first, and I let him divide with that sword he brought, and he, and he divides my life so I can see clearly. Hebrews 4.12, that, that the word of God, it's sharp. It's, its ability is to divide the soul and the spirit, the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So the Lord brings this sword. And now I can see clearly and I say, no, 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 God, you're first. And now I have a wife and I have children and I have a job, but they all fall under the hand of God. They all fall under the kingdom of God. And so now I have gained my life back in the perspective of God first. The Lord is not in the business of splitting up your family. We have to look at the context of the Scripture. What is he doing? He's going to set against because you cannot love your family more. You cannot love anything in this world more. And it goes, Jesus gets so personal. Because if you can get this part right, if you can love mama less than Jesus, if you can love son and daughter less than Jesus, and you put Jesus in the right place, everything else is going to come in order. There's no way you're putting money above God. If you can do this right and understand and everything will fall in the right place. And God's going to teach you how to love properly. Jesus said the greatest commandment, to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And then the second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. That applies to your spouse and your children, your family members, your cousins, your uncles, your friends. But there's an order to love. And Jesus will not bring peace on earth. 
We're not making peace with the Tower of Babel crowd. We're not making peace with culture. We are not making peace with the religious crowd in this world. I'm not seeking to create enemies and to fight them. Blessed are the peacemakers. But I'm not seeking to try to draw every one of those people and me compromise everything I believe so I can have peace with this world. Because the Lord's going to make some separation. We're going to get to that in a minute. He who loves father, mother, more than me is not worthy. He who does not take up his cross is not worthy. When did we get to the point where we thought taking up the cross was optional? I, I thought that way many years ago. I, I didn't need to take up the cross daily. Look, serving Jesus, there is some effort to this thing. There is some work to this. You're going to have to lay down some things. Wish I could tell you it was all simple and no problem and a piece of cake, but your flesh wants to rise up every day. Every day your flesh wants to tell you something different. And there is a wave of culture. I read this book, um, The Practical Guide to Culture by John Stone Street. I liked a lot that was in there, not everything. So don't write that down and say, hey, everything he said, Chris loves. No. But he had a definition about culture. He said it's like the ocean. And it's this huge ocean, and, and Christians and people get lost in it. It's so vast, they float out to sea, they get lost. They need to be rescued. But they're lost. He said that Jesus is the rock, and Christians, the true Christians, are those anchored to that rock that are breaking the waves. And the waves are coming in, and they're breaking over the rock of Christ. As a Christian and a follower of Jesus, culture is going to break over my home, over my life. The lifestyle that I live I'm not perfect. You, can, you don't have to look hard to find a flaw. You don't have to look hard to find something I've done wrong or said wrong. Amber's smiling. She just thinks, she goes, I know that guy's got flaws. Sandy's bowing her head down. Okay. They're there, right? We all have them. We're human. But there's something about culture that, that the anti-Christ in culture, it is in direct conflict with the God of glory in you. And so as you live in this world and, and you work in there and you, you're, in, you're involved in these things, your, your kids are involved in programs and sports or, or just things outside, you're, you're at grocery stores, you're, you're trying to go to the park for a, for a family day, culture collides with you at times. And that wave should break over you. And if it doesn't break, then you may have a problem. You may not be standing for Christ. You may not be separated from the things of this world. And if you're not, you're just tossed to and fro. You're floating in an abyss of culture under an influence that is anti-Christ. That word in the book of Hebrews I talked about 412 is the word logos. It's that concept in, in reasoning. It's that logic of God. We take the word of God. The written word is called rhema. We take that written word, we study it, and, and from that we can learn of God's concepts and reasonings. And we can take the law of two and three witnesses and find multiple accounts of a pattern of who God is and how God operates. But then I come to church, and I come to classes on a Wednesday night, and, and I come to a, a Monday where I meet with some of the men and we talk about some things about men, right, Brother Nick? And I get in a deep word of God, and I begin to expound, and I I understand now the concepts. The good teachers take the rhema and they teach you the logos. And the Spirit of God makes that word alive in you. And that rhema and that logos becomes alive and we live it. We live in Christ and we can actually be and move in Him. Our daily life is possible in Christ Jesus. Bonhoeffer said this quote, we build God a temple, a church building, and then we exile Christ to that temple, and we visit him oftentimes gladly for about two hours on a Sunday morning. We cannot offer Christ a part or a piece. It must be all or it is nothing. That's strong because I've done that. I have gone full weeks where I just lived my life and then went, oh, well, you know, church is good. I need to get there. And church became a duty, and I just showed up, and I wasn't ready to learn, and I wasn't seeking God, and I, I, need, I knew I needed to be there. And maybe some of you tonight are here tonight because you feel like you had to be, or you just, and I just want, I guess it's what I should do. Let me challenge you to open your heart. 
let Jesus be your pursuit. Let's learn something of Christ and let that rhema we read tonight, some of the more we're going to read, become a concept in your life. Let it grow. Let you live out the Word of God. It should be something to pursue as a relationship with Christ. Knowing Jesus is the goal. He's the subject of the book, but he's also a real living person. And we get to follow him. We get to learn of him. We get to know him. And if we miss that, we're going to get caught up in the spirit of Antichrist. It will take us because it takes and it puts in place of Jesus so many other things. Go to 1 John. Let's, let's look at Antichristos. 1 John chapter 2 Heidi, verse 15. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. It's that small book way in the back. Do not love the world or the things in the world. This is that Greek word cosmos. Do not love the system. I mean, some people, they, they love the... Uh, the rivers and the lakes and the trees, and okay. Okay, yeah, you probably shouldn't love them to a point above God. But for sure, do not love the systems of this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. This word lust, it's desires. It's not just sexual lust. It's desires of anything, passions. Things we're passionate about that the flesh wants to do and, and the eyes see and the pride of life that, man, I have got to make it in this world. I've got to be somebody. I've got to make money. I've got to have certain things. Now, I'm not saying we don't enjoy some things in life. Remember, we've got to separate and Christ is first and everything else under that, he gives to you. He gives to us. There is joy in serving God. There is absolute joy in having a family and, and getting together and doing things that are wholesome. There is joy. But the lust of the flesh, the passions where you are first and where your eyes are leading you, everything that you see and want, you go do and you go get, the love of the Father is not in that. The world is passing away. It's passing away. And the lust of it, the passions of it are passing away. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. And I hate to tell you this, but whoever does not, does not abide forever. The world is passing away. And if you anchor yourself in that culture, if you put yourself into that system, then you too are passing away. There's nothing to inherit there except an eternity of death. That's all that's there. The only thing that system offers, the only thing that culture offers you is an eternity of death because that's how it ends. There's no life in it. There is no Christ in it. It is antichristos. It's in the place of Christ, and it can offer you nothing eternal. Anything you do in that system is temporary. Everything that you earn there, everything you accomplish there, every bit of legacy and success ends at the time that you die, it's over. But he who does the will of God, oh man, I mean, if we could grasp this, just he who does the will of God, this, this isn't a, a set for everybody that, okay, you're going to be a, you have to be a great preacher, you have to be a great missionary, you have to be something big in the kingdom. You just have to do the will of the Father in your life. You've got to follow him. You've got to be a disciple of him. Whatever that is, a daily life before God, he will lead you into what you need to be doing because you're daily doing his will. You can't get to hell from here, we had a pastor say once. You're not going to end up in hell when you're doing the will of God. You might make a mistake here and there. You might find yourself in trouble when you're doing the will of God. You repent, you get right, you get changed, you move on in Christ. You never leave the will of God when you're doing His will every day. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come already. By which we know it is the last hour. They went out from us. 
but they were not of us. For had they been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made revealed or manifest that none of them were of us. John's talking about this early church. This church was powerful. Apostle John is still alive. There is miracles, signs, and wonders, and guess what? There are liars, and there are false prophets, and there are those trying to do lying signs and wonders as well. He said, they went out from us. They were never of us. Had they been, they would have continued with us. Guys, there is this this thing in this church world. There are so many movements that are walking outside of Christ. You're just going to have to let them go. There are movements that are openly not for Jesus. You got to let them go. They were never part of us. Some of the now listen, I'm not going to tell you what to listen to, what preacher to listen to, what music to turn on, but I'm going to say this. When they depart from Christ, they were never part of him. They're go let it go. Certain preachers, we've we just had a big one. Just come down. His his personal life was a mess. He was never part of us. I hate to say that, but he had some good thoughts, Chris. So did some of these. Some of these were a part of this church. They, they were there, but they were never really in. They showed up. They learned how to speak the language. They did some things in the church. They were there. They were around. They could mimic some of the language and mimic some of the signs. But they were never really a part. The spirit of Antichrist is opposed to Christ, and it's in the place of Christ. And there are those that have come through the church There are those that have come right through the church body that are opposed to Christ. There are those in this world who have big movements, amazing movements, thousands of people. But if they're anti-Christos, they were never part of us. Let them go. They're gone. But you have an anointing. You who are here, you who are part of the Lord. You have an anointing from the Holy One and you know things. You know all things. I have not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it. And no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Let me make this even more clear. When you serve Jesus, you serve all of God. You just need Jesus. You want to start separating Jesus and the Father, you're not going to have Jesus. Those who say they have the Father but deny the Son. And I'm sorry, church, there's a lot of people doing this today. More than just Judaism. They call out Father God. They call out Daddy God. They, they call out Spirit. They, they call on all these things that they've somehow split outside of Christ, denying the Son. But if you have Christ, if you get into Jesus, if, if you make your daily life about Jesus, and you are going to have Father God also. You have His Spirit in you also. It's a package deal in Christ. Outside of Christ, it is antichristos. It's opposed. It's in the place of Jesus. Outside of Jesus, you can't have a move of the Spirit. Outside of Jesus, you can't have Father God. I'm sorry, Jewish people need to get saved. They they need to find Christ. He is their Messiah. He's our Lord and Savior. He is their answer. They need Him. Without Him, there is no eternity. There is no kingdom. They can't separate Him. That's what John said. If you have an issue with this, you have to take it up with John. Christianity is about Jesus alone. He is alive. If we do anything outside of him, we're building up a profane tower like Babel. God was not pleased. Amen. We're going to finish at 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is where I'm driving us. And once we finish, we're going to go through verse 1 through 16. We'll be pretty much done. So you guys are going to be, you got a little timer going now. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Now, as I'm reading some of this, tell me this is not exactly the day we're living in. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times, or difficult, hard to bear, times will come. 
Now, Paul is speaking directly to Timothy here. He is speaking to one of his pastors, one of the men that he discipled. He tells him in verse 2, men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Have we seen any of that? Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, that's false accusers. We have so much false accusing going on in this world. We had a president in office who had more false accusations against him than anybody I've ever heard of. No, he's not squeaky clean. He had plenty of faults. But there were more false accusations than any man I'd ever seen. And none of that was called out, and none of that was held accountable. Because our nation, unfortunately, is living in a land that is anti-Christos. It's just in the place of Christ. Without self-control. Isn't that one of the fruits of the Spirit? Self-control? Now, I'm going to share something with you quickly on fruits of the Spirit. Self-control is still something you have to do. But the Spirit of Christ in you, God in you, He helps us to do that. There's this, there's this ability, there's this voice, there's this one with us. I have found that in self-control, which I have lacked many times in my past, is much easier when I'm in Christ. He enables this ability. When you're outside of Christ, there is no self-control. You might meet some people, you might meet some who seem to have everything in order. They got everything figured out. They're very in control. And they are not in control of their own lusts, their passions, their desires, their love of money, the lust of the eyes, all those things, even behind the scenes, are going on and raging. I have never found a Christian who was not a Christian. We keep looking for them, though. We really think politically that these guys are, some of them are just really good people. They really love the Lord in their own way. No, they do not. Self-control. They're brutal. I'm seeing a whole group of brutality going on right now in streets across this country. Despisers of good. Wow. You try to make a cake based on your beliefs, and all of a sudden you're the worst person in the world. You lose your business. You lose your integrity. Based on what? People who despise anything good. They're traitors. Traitors to their country. Traitors to God. Traitors to you. Headstrong. This word is reckless. Nothing but reckless comes out from men who are lovers of themselves. They're haughty, conceited to the point of foolishness. Have you seen the education today? They're so conceited with their education, they know so much, they have no idea what gender a child is born as. Hmm. Pretty sure we're walking in that right now. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Man, have you not been this way at times in your life? I, I know. I know what this is like. To, to, to just love my things, to, to want pleasure more than I love God. And, and this has to be broken because if not, you're just serving in the place of Christ. You're serving the anti. You're walking in a, in a wrong life. Perilous times are going to come, Timothy. These people have a form of godliness, but denying its power. Pastor quoted this this morning. I thought, oh, no. Oh, no, he's going to read this whole thing, and I'm in trouble. They deny the power of Jesus Christ. You know, in our country, we can say God, but we can't say Jesus. You hear all these people pray on TV. They pray for things, and they say amen and a woman, or they pray, and they say in the name of a God somewhere, they deny the power of Jesus Christ. Don't walk, don't live, don't swim in the ocean of culture that is anti-Christ. You will get lost. For this, okay, from such people turn away. I, I tell you what, this really stuck out to me. How am I supposed to reach the lost, Brother Chris? Paul just told Timothy, all of this is going on in your cult. Timothy, perilous times are coming, and from these people turn away. Wait a minute, I thought I was supposed to go to the bar and witness to people. I thought I was supposed to go to these places and, and share the gospel. You're telling me to turn away from them. 
Folks, if you don't create distance, you don't create a distance where the holy is separate from the profane, you have no testimony. This is not a command to not preach the gospel. This is not a command that says don't share the light. This is not a command that says do not take the light into a darkened world. This command is don't go with them. You've got to separate. You have to create some distance. You have to turn away from this life, period. And whatever you have to do to make that happen is what you have to do. But you cannot compromise it. You cannot live in it. You cannot join up with the culture of this world and call yourself a Christian. It won't work. You're going to put in the place of Christ your comfort, your friends, your love, all these things take away from Christ. Of this sort are those who creep. They deceive their way into households. They make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various passions. I mean, I'm just going to meddle for a second. We're almost done. Social media has done a great job in this. Torn down whole households. I'm not saying don't have social media. Just understand there's a wave of influence that does seek to tear households down. And the enemy uses every possible opportunity to influence your home. You've got to safeguard everything. You have to understand Jesus first in everything. Christ first in everything you do, including what you allow into your mind, your ears, your eyes, your heart. There is an attack on families. Social media, I want, well, I won't go there. We don't have time. Just be careful, amen. We'll do that a different day. Always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. How much is that true today? We have so many books on the Christian store shelf. There are Christian books everywhere. People always learning. Learning what? A bunch of nothing. They're learning about how to be good, how to be better, how to love life now, how to love this, how to be a better husband, a better wife. Where is Christ in all of this? They're learning and learning and learning and learning, but never, ever are they coming to the knowledge of the truth, the aletheia. It's a Greek word for revelation. It's that word for reality. It's that word of Jesus in your life every day. We have people deceived who think they're, they're, they're going after God. But they're learning and they're learning and they're learning. They're going to church. They're going to church. They're worshiping. They're going to worship services. They're buying Christian CDs. They're buying Christian preaching. They're doing all these things and they've learned nothing of the knowledge of the revelation of Christ. Now, as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses or opposed him, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds, disapproved, actually means disqualified concerning the faith. They failed the test concerning the faith. But they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifested to all, as also was Janus and Jambres. In Exodus, Moses is going to do those plagues. Most of you remember that story. He's got ten plagues. Janus and Jambres are part of the culture of Egypt. They serve the Pharaoh, and they have this ability to mimic some of the signs, some of the plagues that Moses was able to do, some of those signs. They could throw their staff down, and they can make a snake, and, and they could do some things in trickery to seem like they had a form of godliness. They had a form of power. They had some ability. They were lying signs and wonders. Janus and Jambres could do some of them, but they could progress no further. Their folly was manifest. God, at the end of those plagues, took the firstborn of every family in Egypt. Reproduce that, Janice and Jambres. Your sin and the hardening of Pharaoh's heart falls absolutely on the Antichrist spirit and the culture thereof. They wouldn't heed God. They believed their own lying signs, and they lost so much in their culture and their life it's passing away anyway, but their follies manifest in the end. So too is it in this day. There is an absolute distraction and a deceit that's out there, and it is taking Christians, it's taking young Christians. We have so many young people that buy into culture. We've lost a couple from this church. Breaks my heart. 
They know the truth. They heard the truth. They were part. But you get out in the culture and you get out in those waves and in that ocean and you get swept away and, and you buy into the lies and you buy into the deceit. And there's only one way back out, and that's in Christ. But it's really hard to hear it when you're in the middle of that ocean. Parents, don't give up praying for your kids. We're almost done. Six verses left. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, and afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch. Remember Paul talking to Timothy. At Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. All. Everybody say all. Not some. Not a few. All who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you've learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Real quick. Verse 10 and 11 stood out to me and encouraged me. I hope it does you. Perilous times have come upon us. The apostle speaking through the Holy Spirit says in verse 10, you have carefully followed my doctrine. That word doctrine is teaching. It's that teaching and instruction. You know what's going to carry us through in perilous times? Carefully following the teaching of the Lord. That word carefully following, it's got that Greek preposition para in it. It's this alongside of, it's a closeness. It is, we are arm in arm with the things of God and the teaching in our church and, and the preaching of the gospel that we hear that is right, that is biblical, that's in Scripture. How do I make it through perilous times? How do I avoid, avoid this culture? We need to understand and know this. We need to live it. We need to walk it out. We need to heed the preaching of the gospel. This is how I'm going to make it. Timothy, you have carefully followed my instruction and teaching. You've carefully followed my manner of life. We don't like this. I don't want to follow another man's pattern of living. Paul said Timothy should follow his. Conduct, leadership, and guidance. Your conduct in your personal life matters, and it matters more than you may think. How you conduct yourself when nobody's looking, pastor always says that's the mark of integrity. How you conduct yourself in your personal life. Paul tells Timothy, you carefully have followed my teaching, and then you've lived it. Your manner of life. You're living it out. You followed my purpose, the setting forth of the plan of God. This is Paul instructing his disciple Timothy. You followed my purpose. What God has done in me, you followed it. Listen, I'm just going to tell you young people, I drove myself crazy trying to figure out my purpose. How many of you think about your purpose and it drives you a little crazy? You're like, I don't know. Who am I supposed to marry? What am I supposed to do? Where do I go? And you got a million thoughts in your head. If you don't know your purpose, you follow the one that's being laid forth right here in this church. You're being taught the purpose of God every day, to live for him, to take up your cross, to follow Jesus. Silence all those crazy thoughts that want to pull you out, all those thoughts that want to get you outside of reality, Pastor Rodney, outside of what's happening right now in front of you every day. Focus on the purpose that's being set before you, and God is going to establish you. And when God has a call for your life, it's coming. Don't worry about it. Oh, I don't know if I'm going to be a missionary. Am I going to preach? You'll know. You'll know. God does not leave those he's called wandering or not knowing. I love this comfort. Timothy, follow my purpose. My faith, like in Jude, the faith once delivered to the saints. Timothy, you carefully, alongside me, followed in the faith. Long-suffering, 
It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's this patience, this long-suffering and, and waiting on God. Wait on the Lord. Followed in love, agape, what God prefers, the type of love that changes us into His image. Timothy, you followed closely in love, letting God change you into His image. Perseverance, remain under. Endurance, don't give up. You have remained. You've endured. You've persevered, Timothy. Perilous times are coming. Church, perilous times are here. How are you going to make it? Perseverance, endurance, love, long-suffering. Continue in the doctrine. Continue in the manner of life that's been laid down. You are blessed, blessed to have the pastors we have here. The conduct and the leadership that's here. I'm not saying that every man here is perfect and every woman here is perfect. But the conduct of their lives are evident. Givers, helpers, lives that you cannot look at and find any grave mistake and error. There's nobody cheating, lying, hurting one another. There's a conduct you can follow. Just like Paul instructed Timothy, so can we glean. And the reason why is because the ministry that I know that's here is also following Paul's words. We follow the doctrine the apostles laid down, anchored in Christ Jesus. There is a gospel out there that says that the apostles' doctrine is outdated. There are people saying that that, that doctrine was for that time, that what they wrote was for that day, and that modern-day apostles are laying down new doctrine. Please throw that out. Don't accept that. That is anti-Christos. Persecution and, and suffering, afflictions. We're going to go through persecution and we're going to go through afflictions. Afflictions, whenever you suffer something in the flesh, if you love the Lord, it draws you closer to Him. I don't want them. I don't like them. I do not like when my back breaks down in the middle of a golf game. Rodney, I don't like that. But then I come to prayer Saturday night and say, Lord, I just need you. I can't. My body's breaking down. It draws you closer. I'm going to finish. I have a few more things, but we're just going to end here. From childhood, you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ. I speak to you young people that have grown up in this church. This is you. This is you. You're made wise through the Scripture. You know the Word of God is true. It's not just that you've been told. It's one of the things I love about our church and other churches like ours. You're taught the Word of God, something that you can hold in your hand and you can read and you can study on your own. There's nothing taught here that you can't open up and see for yourself. And you young people that have grown up, you are made wise for your salvation through faith in Christ. We are so blessed. Now continue in the things we have learned. Continue in the doctrine that you're being taught. Continue in the manner of life that's being laid down before you, and you will make it through perilous times. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise tonight. Thank you, Jesus.